0: Here we go, here we go, fold your hands, close your eyes, here we go, here we go, we're late because it's fun, that's why. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners, amen. Amen. Latare, it's Latare Sunday, should be the rose-colored vestments, but no, St. Joseph trumped us, went all the way to white, so that was nice. Um, You think about Jesus as your father then after the sermon, so good to to see you, welcome back, you know. Now I've been trying, so you come in and you're all having so much fun and I always hate to stop the momentum. I've been trying to teach the vicar about momentum. Is the vicar in here today? No, he's not. All right, good, I talk about him freely behind his back. So I've been trying to explain to him, he's a very analytical guy, right? So, you know, he's a statistical guy, he's an economics major, he's very smart. And he, you know, I was talking to him about, I said, vicar, do you believe in momentum? He looked at me like this, right? And I was like, here's the thing. So I have a new plan, I'm gonna try to get to the governing board today. Here's my goal. I'm gonna give the vicar $1,000 and fly him to Vegas, but not give him a hotel room. <laughs> and he has to play craps, which he didn't know about, so he had to give the vicar a craps lesson this, this week as part of his training. He has to play craps until he either has zero or $5,000. He can't come home until he has zero or $5,000 because then, one way or the other, he'll learn about momentum, okay? <laughs> Just just an idea I had. I need to follow it by the seminary to see if it'll work. In any case, uh, you know, (laughs) Lent goes on with momentum, right? So you do your things. you got ashes, right? Never leave your house, Chrysostom, without making the sign of the cross. And I, you know, begged you to say the our Father eight times a day and to fast a bit if you could and to give something to the poor, which you'll find to be the most delightful experience or most confusing thing that'll ever happen to you. So, but the point is uh, by the fourth week, you know, things get a little bit weary. And so normally, you know, and it was great that we did St. Joseph. Normally, you know, this is the week it goes to pink. So you put a little white in with the purple, it lightens up and it encourages you that it's gonna actually be okay. Jesus is gonna have his way with us and off we go. And so part of that then was try to, to help you or encourage you to be quite diligent in your prayers, especially the Our Father. Because when you have said the Our Father, you've actually said everything that could be said. Other prayers are gorgeous and uh, do your best and all that, but you know, don't let a day go by without saying the Our Father. And I'm trying to convince you at this point that to, to say the Our Father is to pray that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would have their way with you every moment of the day. So Jesus' prayer, uh, the Lord's prayer is really a prayer invoking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come into your life, body and soul, and move you toward the kingdom of God. That's what he's praying for. And I'm in the midst of trying to convince you of that. So, uh, but at point number two, I kind of remind you where we've been. Last week, you know, what I tried to argue was that Jesus gives us himself, as well as his prayer and his father. And I tried to convince you about what a father really looked like, and then Pastor Nelson today, with uh, all about St. Joseph and you. And so, this is very hard, sometimes, to convince you that Jesus actually loves you. It seems to skew, you know, times we take it for granted, and uh, we almost ignore him. But very often, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we're quite hard on ourselves, especially people who are in the church. And this is completely unnecessary. Uh, There's a, Margin comment in there by a woman whose name I can't remember today, but it is. I mean, there's a. a, The margin comments today are fabulous. Even the prayer or the hymn from Ephraim, the Syrian, at the the end, you just kind of go, Jesus gets dressed, you know, in swaddling clothes because he's come to wreath clothe Adam. You know, who thinks like that? But this beautiful, there's this beautiful about halfway through somewhere by this woman who talks about, it's just a genius little thing where she talks about how we we need to confess before we're forgiven. It's basic Lutheran stuff, right? Law and then gospel. But in that is the great love of God for us. It's just so she writes so beautifully, just you can hardly stand it. But, you know, start to finish, the scriptures are that Jesus wants to spend time with you. Eden, right? Creation first, of course. The only reason you're here is because Jesus wanted to spend time with you. So creation, and then Eden, and then when it goes south, all the sequential places he wants to meet you, in the tabernacle, in the temple, in Mary's belly, on the cross, in the tomb, out of the tomb, in the church. And so this great thing of now, and you know, I, you've, I've run this for you before, but the voice of Jesus says, do not judge yourself, do not condemn yourself, do not reject yourself. And that would clean up about 80% of pastoral care problems and spiritual direction problems, if we all could do that. Do not judge yourself, do not condemn yourself, do not reject yourself. Let my love touch the deepest, most hidden corners of your heart and reveal to you your own beauty, a beauty that you've lost sight of, but which will become visible to you again in the light of my mercy. The voice of Jesus says, come, come, let me wipe your tears and let my mouth come close to your ear and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And of course, this is just on the heels of what I talked to you about. Um, last week about having God as your father and so um, kind of down the page is a bit of review as having him as both Abba and Potter so both the formal name Papa I'm sorry the formal name father and then the informal name Papa right you have both these things and any good father is both of these things to his children quite intimate and gentle and yet always a particular status. Once you're a father, you can never not be a father. You're always a father. Just like you, you're always a child. You can't not be a child, the prodigal son. Yeah, I'll just be a hired hand. The dad says, you clearly don't understand how the world is constructed. I'll always be your father. You'll always be my son. I'm always a father, you're always a son. And that is, of course, how it works with you, with your heavenly father as well. And then my great caution last week, passionately to you, I hope, that we don't define our fathers from bottom up to top down. So we don't look around at fathers on earth who are quite fallible and often horrible, and often very good, and sort of simmer that together and you know, say, this is what a father looks like. No, we listen to God, our Heavenly Father, tell us about himself, or even more importantly, tell us all the things he's doing for us. He creates for us. He forgives us, he loves us, he wants to be near us, he wants us home again. He wants us to be free, but he doesn't want us to abuse our freedom. Right, this beautiful uh, intimacy of, of following him and having his focus and having his way and having his joy, all these things we talked about last week. So I'm flipping the page and saying, you know, why not let God become king? To which, you know, that's a bit of a Rorschach there. When you hear, you know, why not let God become king? You know, there's going to be two sorts of people. Um, there are going to be people who, you know, objectively say he is king, and then there's going to be people who say, what? How does he mind? Or I guess you could say there's people who believe in momentum and don't believe in momentum. People have been to Vegas and not been to Vegas. That would be a, I should have said it that way, right? So, uh, of course God is king. But the great Luther, is he king for you? The great Lutheran bit is... The for you. Of course, people spend all this time asking if God exists. It doesn't really matter if God exists. What if he exists and he hates you? It's the same as him not existing. The existence of God is not the great argument. The great concern is whether or not God loves you. Whether God, as Luther would say, is for you. That's the key. And so this is point number three now. When you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're praying that God would be your king. Now, I just wanna say this because I want you to sort of think about this. What I'm gonna suggest to you is the first three bits, and I'm not even gonna number them the way the petitions do because I, I wanna try to squeeze more out of them by going in a different direction. Our Father is clearly a prayer to the Heavenly Father. But I'm gonna suggest to you thy kingdom come is a prayer that Jesus would be here. And Thy will be done is a prayer that we would be energized and animated by the Holy Spirit. So what you're begging is that the Holy Trinity would come into your life. And then you can work the rest out. Give us what we need physically. Give us what we need spiritually. Stick by us when we're attacked and hold on to us until the last day. That's the Lord's Prayer. Of course, you can think about it other ways. I want to see if you can think about it this way and then see what that does to you. So, um, what does this mean? To be sure, the kingdom of God comes of itself without our prayer. Of course, objectively, God is God. Of course, objectively, you know, God has a kingdom. And of course, on the last day, God will have his way with us, and there's nothing anybody can do about it, right? Of course, of course, of course. Yes, but, we pray in this petition that may all come also to us. How could that happen? Look, a Holy Trinity answer in the Catechism. When the Father gives the Spirit so that we may believe his word, big W, the Son, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There it is, right? So we pray to the Father that we'd have the Holy Spirit so we could believe in his Son and then live in his kingdom. And by the way, living in his kingdom is really, really sweet. It's really, really good for you. The problem for you, and also for me, is that we constantly deflect that. And so I've talked to you many times about this, how freedom is interpreted as license, when really freedom is obedience, right? And so the the Latin from last week, absurdus, means not listening. And so when you don't listen to God, your life is absurd, that's the definition of Absurdus. you don't pay attention, you don't listen. And so when we don't listen, then we deflect or we say this is too hard or we say I'd rather be a god myself or we try to find idols. But, and I turned the page, idolatry is the stuff of dictators. It is the stuff of kings with small Ks. It's the stuff of bad fathers. It is the stuff of politics and false prophets. And so what we're begging every time we say the Lord's Prayer is that, we'd be, that we would be free of all false kingdoms, of all false messiahs, especially that we'd be free of ourselves, our own self-interest, our own ego, our own selfishness, our own unlovingness. So what we're doing is praying that evil would loosen its grip. And I've said this to you before, but I should say it to you again one of the hardest things is to pray against yourself and to know yourself is to pray against yourself that you would not pray for what is most interesting to you, but what is most interesting to God. So in this prayer, whether you know it or not, you, when you pray, thy will be done, you pray "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You're praying against your kingdom and your own will. You're praying that your kingdom and your will would be consonant with God's kingdom and God's will. But you know, you need to pray against yourself. I do too. If I don't pray against myself, I make myself a God. And that's the end of me. Now this is from forever in the scriptures. And I, you know, I spend a lot of the the time that I had for this this week, you know, sorting through different texts, trying to, it's it's so everywhere, the question is which one to kind of give you. But I tried to give you a common one, especially to the season. So point number four. What the Heavenly Father is willing to do is to repair the breach between heaven and earth. Really, I mean, take, read the hymn from Ephraim the Syrian. I mean, he was a, he's a saint, and he was, he's sainted as a hymn writer. I recall that he was a hermit, so he's out in the desert by himself. You know, you kind of, you know, when you read stuff like this, you sort of go, you know, how do people like this exist on earth? You just can't quite believe that anybody can can hold it all together like this. Just read, the. it's the very, it's the prayers you go today. It's unbelievable. But what we hope for, you know, is that God will keep his promises. Or to put it more directly, that God will always love me. That's what I'm hoping for. When I pray, our Father in heaven, um, hallowed be thy name. So you're holy and you're in heaven, and I know that heaven is near and it interlocks and overlaps with earth, but I also know that I deflect most of what you try to give me And so what I pray is that you'd break me and my way and that you would come and you would keep your promises and you'd let me get good with that, right? Because, you know, you know this text. Listen, look at all the synonyms here, right? This is all lent bundled up. How beautiful. How beautiful the good news. How beautiful peace. How beautiful happiness. How beautiful salvation. How beautiful those who say your God reigns, the kingdom of God. These are the elements of the kingdom of God. If your life doesn't look like this, if your family doesn't look like this, if your church doesn't look like this, if your nation doesn't look like this, pray against them. Not based on your subjective opinion about what life should be like, but on God who is king in his objective holiness and his objective revelation in Christ his son and his objective energy bestowed in his Holy Spirit. Pray against yourself, pray against your world. Pray for yourself and for your world. It's right here. Look at the watchmen. They sing for joy. They see the Lord returning to Zion. They sing, Jerusalem is comforted. Jerusalem is redeemed, which is a really interesting word, right? To deem something, you know, like when you're playing golf and you have an 18 inch putt and your partner says, I deem that to be good. <laughs> That's, you know, you deem something means you assert it. To redeem is to reassert something. So to redeem you is to reassert that you are a child of God and you belong in heaven, that's what this means. And of course, all the theological language that flows out of that of atonement and Christ for us and substitution, yes, of course, all of that. But the outcome is that you'll be redeemed as a child of God, as an inhabitant of heaven, that you can come home And then straight flexing, verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm. So God's patient now, but as Romans says at the beginning, do you presume upon the the patience of God? You think it's just going to be this way forever? You think the Fed will never raise interest rates? Is that what you think? You didn't hedge your T-bills? What? It's not always going to be like this. You have this time to get it right, and then sometime time's up. And that's what you're praying for in the Lord's Prayer. So you're praying that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would come and straighten everything out before it's too late. That's the prayer. And you're praying that for yourself and you're praying that for other people. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of the nations. Nations is code for the great unwashed, the Gentiles, everybody but the Jews. That also means all those people get to come home again, which is great. And all the ends of the earth shall see, right? So all the nations, not just the Jews, but everybody, right? All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And then what I've always told you, the definition of the Christian life, here it is in the Old Testament. Don't touch evil things. Touch holy things. This is the Christian life in a sentence. Touch good, don't touch evil, right? Depart, depart, go out of there, touch no unclean thing go out from the midst of her purify yourselves touch good that's how you get pure you who bear the vessels of the lord don't touch evil touch good for you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go in flight for the lord shall go before you and the lord will be your rear guard saint patrick's prayer god will surround you before you behind you above you below you and the holy trinity will carry you home. This is what we're praying for in the Lord's Prayer. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who live in heaven and are holy would bit by bit bring that holiness to us without destroying us and with redemption that we would be redeemed. So in a very practical way, and you know, this really goes to the last three or four or five or six years when the entire world has gone crazy in an all new way, right? It's like Casey Stengel when he managed the Mets and said, you know, he said every day they would find a new way to screw up. And then you know, there's a title of a book about Casey Stengel that says, does anybody here know how to play this game? I often think to myself about church. Does anybody here know how to play this game? Well, I mean, let's go. You're begging, and this is why it doesn't hurt you to say the Lord's Prayer eight times or 18 times a day. You're begging for all the things that trying to give up swearing for lent that upset you you're praying for good kings good governments good military good police good teachers good hospitals good churches good pastors good neighbors goodwill that's what you're praying for here because all of those things flow out of the. good news though the Lord will sort it out. If you don't know R.S. Thomas, um, buy a book of poetry for Valentine's Day. Wait, did I miss that? Oh, hold on. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Among the greatest uh, recent poets who have a Christian bent, I mean, I've run this for you a time or two, but you know, it came to mind as I was thinking about how the kingdom would come, right? and God held in his hand a small globe. Look, he said, the sun looked far off as through water he saw a scorched land of fierce color. The light burned there, crusted buildings cast their shadows. A bright serpent, a river uncoiled itself, radiant with slime. On a bare hill, a bare tree saddened the sky. Many people held out their thin arms to it, as though waiting for a vanished April to return to its crossed boughs. The sun watched them. Let me go there, he said. I mean, you just think to yourself, how do people do that? It's amazing stuff. So here's what you know. The sun has taken a good look at you and thought that you're worth it for no other reason that his heart is full of love. then you're a bum, but you're the Lord's bum. And so, you know, he says, uh, let's take another swing at him. I mean, after prophets, priests, and kings, and history, and floods, and exiles, and returns, and temples, and tabernacles, and sacrifices, after all of that, you know, what's the story of Lent? What is the story of Easter? God is gonna return and do it himself, one last time for good, right? And so there he is in the, that icon I give you below. Um, you know, just as here, just as here, you know, Lutherans always say, you know, we didn't take a wrong turn, you did. Now, that's true most of the time, but a lot of times, you know, we took a wrong turn too. That said, you know, I remind you of this in case you haven't done it, um, so look at that icon of Jesus, Pantocrator, or life giver. Pantocrator is last ruler of the world, the one who will come again and set things right, the final judge. That's all bundled up in Pantocrator. But this is also called Jesus the teacher, Jesus the life giver, which are all very helpful. Now, as you're looking at it, take your right thumb and put it over Jesus' eye on the right side. You see how gentle that eye is? And do you notice, too, for extra credit, the crook of his mouth on that side? Gentle, sort of, you, you know, you wouldn't exactly call it um, a smile, but come on, Jesus is orthodox, so what do you expect? Uh, so, <laughs> now, take your other thumb, left thumb, and put it on the eye on his left side. Look at that law-minded eye, that squinty, severe eye. That is, you really been doing that again? And look at his mouth, curled down like a little bit like my mother's when she had set the table for Easter and my big brother slapped me so I grabbed him like the Three Stooges did by the lapels and I ran him backwards until, no lie, he fell on top of the Easter table, the legs broke, off walk- and everything went on the floor and I landed on top of him. It was one of the great moments of my life. <laughs> Until of course my mother came in the room that it wasn't so good. But for that 11 seconds or 12, oh yeah. I've always had to explain to Kirby that's why we didn't inherit the china. <laughs> So Jesus is the glue who, in, he, he holds the world together, right? I gave you the text there. Jesus is the icon, that's actually the word, image is the English word. The Greek word is icon. Jesus is the icon of the invisible God. You're praying to your father, God our father, to make things visible. How does he make things visible in his kingdom? He sends a king. That's what he does, and he sends this king who comes law and gospel right he would love to look at you with his gospel eye if only you'll have it if you refuse him he'll he'll use his law eye but he's not going to be your enemy unless you make him be your enemy don't make him be your enemy right let his kingdom come so um, this is jesus the life giver by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible thrones dominions rulers authorities all created through him all for him And he is before all things and in him all things hold together he's the glue that holds it all together so jesus comes you can turn the page he's holy he tabernacles you know he stays with us he baptizes us with his holy spirit he enlivens us you know he invites us come and see right you're not even out of the first chapter of john and all this stuff is happening already you know he does miracles cana keeps the party going and he does this not and this is so important especially for church people not by bullying or by force if you think if a pastor thinks his job is to straighten people out he doesn't know what he's doing he's not following Jesus if the church thinks their job is to impose their will with force on the world they do not follow the way of Jesus There are policemen for that, there are governors, there are presidents, there are armies, and all of that falls within the legitimate first article stuff for the world, but the church works by love and not by force. And always, of course, we're so despondent that somehow our congregation or our denomination or our little bit or the church might even disappear. Of course, the Lord has promised. That that won't happen. He doesn't promise that you know on this corner these two square blocks will survive. This these two square blocks will survive based on you and whether or not you let the kingdom come. Whether you listen, whether you give alms, whether you tithe, whether you pray, whether you go to the Eucharist, you have full control virtually on what I mean, short of you know, insurrection and you know somebody launching cruise missiles. You have A tremendous amount of control about whether this congregation will survive but you know jesus does say hell will not prevail against the church of god so somewhere sometime there will always be a church which is a great reason for you to hold on because at the end of the day when it's kingdom and power and glory are yours and when jesus comes again to square everything up as pantocrator and unfortunately he'll be using both eyes when that happens Law eye and a gospel eye, sword and a lily in his hands. He'd preferred it for you to have the lily. If you force him to be your enemy and take the sword, that's on you, not on him. As Bayan said so clearly, quoting Corby, nobody goes to hell for their sins. That's that's such a beautiful clarity, right? Nobody goes to hell for their sins. That's what everybody thinks about the church. Nobody goes to hell for their sins. People go to hell because they choose not to have Jesus as their savior. They choose against him. He's already done it. 2,000 years ago, 6,000 miles away, on Good Friday at about three o'clock, he died for every person who ever was and will be. And so, of course, um, to say no to him is to be absurdus, to be completely silly. Um, and there's Jesus praying for you, saying, uh, the Father and I are trying to get it done. I go to the Father, whatever you ask in my name will get done, and on the last day, Revelation 21, I will sort it out. The interesting thing about Revelation 21, and there's, there's so many you know, things that, in, that are happening in Revelation, but last chapter of the Bible, things are getting mopped up, And they're sorting sheep and goats and they're sorting by whether they wear the name of Jesus on their forehead whether they've been tattooed in the font his remarkable sort of gentle consolation and end to everything that you've suffered in your life the good news is that anybody can come you know there's that great text that we read during Lent come to the water why do you buy, why do you spend money on what's not food and chase after what's not drink? Why do you, why do you chase after non-kingdom things? Right, Isaiah 55. Now, here's a thing that you may not have thought of before, and um, so uh, for a moment, let um, Benedict XVI um, bend your mind. Is it possible that what... Those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw on the transfiguration, is Jesus praying the Lord's Prayer. Just want to, now, here's the thing now, before you call Bishop Buss, he's busy on Sundays, let him alone. <laughs> and by tomorrow, you'll forget all about this. But for now, occasionally, have a little bit of fun. Is it possible that this is true? from Benedict the 16th for the three apostles going up the mountain meant being involved in the prayer of Jesus. Could that possibly be true? Is that what Jesus is doing there? Who frequently withdrew in prayer, especially at dawn and after sunset and sometimes all night. However, this was the only time on the mountain that he chose to reveal to his friends. I do not call you servants, but friends, the inner light, which would be the Holy Spirit, that filled him when he prayed. His faith, we read in the Gospel, shown, and his clothes were radiant with the splendor of the divine person of the incarnate word. So now we've got two. You've got the light, and you've got the word. Therefore, Jesus listens to the law and the prophets. Where did that come from? The Father who spoke to him about his death and his resurrection, about his own exodus. The way Moses and the children of Israel had an exodus out of Egypt, Jesus is about to have an exodus out of the world and his red sea is the cross. And Luke's gospel actually uses the word exodus, the literal word. It says he spoke to them about his exodus. You, can't, you, gotta, be, you, know, you gotta be completely inept to miss that point. In his intimate dialogue with the Father, so now what's happened? He listens to the prophets. He listens to the law. He gathers with his friends. He talks, he loves, and he obeys. Watch what happens. In his intimate dialogue with the Father, he did not depart from history. He did not flee the mission. Obedience. Obedience and love are the same. Freedom and obedience and love are all the same. They're all the same. He's free to go. He can take another path. He can do what he wants, but freedom and love and obedience are synonyms. Jesus loves you so that he tells you what you're meant to do, and he allows you to do it. He energizes you with his spirit. He shows you the way. He gives you the strength. Everything comes together here, right? In his intimate dialogue with the Father, he did not depart from history. He did not flee the mission for which he came into the world, although he knew that to attain glory... Now, you have to be thinking... Jesus said, and when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. My glory, he says, is in the cross. So to attain his glory, his holiness, his obedience, his love, now you've got four or five words all working in the same direction, which is always a clue that theology is working. When everything's pulling on the same end of the rope, it's just like a congregation. A divided congregation, as Jesus says, you know, will crumble. Um, a nation divided itself can't stand but when everybody's pulling on the same end of the rope, everything is going to work. It's true for families, it's true for churches, it's true for businesses, it's true for governments, it's true for the world, here it is. He knew that to attain his glory, he would have to pass through the cross. On the contrary, he doesn't flee. Christ enters more deeply into this mission, adhering with all his being to his Father's will. He shows us, that true prayer consists precisely in uniting our will with that of God. Or as I've often said to you, faith agrees. So now faith and freedom and love and obedience and glory and holiness all mean the same thing. Of course, they mean different things. At the transfiguration, you see that when they all line up and pull in the same direction, remarkable things happen. Dead men come to life, people are struck down, people are raised up, people see God face to face and survive. People have hope for the end of the world, that's what's happening here. For a Christian, therefore, to pray is not to evade reality. And the responsibilities that spring. We don't pray, as Jesus said, to take me out of the world. He didn't pray to go out of the world. He prayed to have the energy to stick in the world and do the work that He was given. You're going to drop dead at some point. And if you beat me to the punch, I will be there to say to you, see, that wasn't so bad, really, was it? Because now you think, oh, how bad, could oh, what we've been through and last year and this year, people lying to us and who's in, rockets going everywhere and uh, everybody is, people are crazy. You're all crazy. Except for me. I mean, you're all kind of crazy. This is how we think. And of course, the craziest part of that is that we can't remember that Jesus is going to have his kingdom come. The kingdom of God comes indeed without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it would come among us also. (laughs) Objectively, the kingdom of God is going to come. Subjectively, it would be fabulous if you would get on board, if you could kind of move over to the gospel eye of that icon, because after all, he's the glue that holds the universe together. For a Christian, therefore, to pray is not to evade reality and the responsibilities it brings, but rather to Fully assume them to obey, trusting in the faithful and inexhaustible love of the Lord. There you go. So, when you pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, let me just sort of translate for you Father, at home, where everything is holy, and where I once lived. Eden still exists. It's just that you're not there. Eden is where the father lives. So father in holiness where all is well and love is predominant where you are holy. Let that all be the first part. Then the next part um, thy kingdom come. Let that mean let Jesus come Let Jesus come with all his gifts, love, forgiveness, Eucharist, baptism, scripture, community, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That all is bundled up in thy kingdom come. Father, come to me, give me your gifts. Son, come to me, give me your gifts. That's the prayer. The large catechism Just in case you think this isn't Lutheran stuff. What is the kingdom of God? That God, the Father, I annotate there for you, sent his Son, Christ our Lord, into the world to redeem and deliver us from the power of the devil and to bring us to himself and to rule us as king of righteousness, life and salvation against sin, death and an evil conscience. To that end, he gave us the Holy Spirit to teach us that through his holy word and to enlighten and strengthen us in faith by his power. What is the Lord's Prayer? It is the prayer that the Holy Trinity would have his way with you. That's what it is. You're praying that you wanna live with the Holy Trinity. And so forgiveness um, is touched to us by the holy things. And I give you the synonyms there. And then, you know, um, there's always too much, but just stick with me at point number eight. Kashmaman is genius and underrated and thick and payoff if you pay attention a sacrament so think of the eucharist for you or baptism this morning a sacrament is always a passage a transformation so you're praying you're praying that you would somehow be changed transported taken to a new place that you're praying that you would have an exodus from one place to another from some place horrible horrible to some place grand A sacrament is always a passage, a transfiguration, a transformation. Yet it is not a passage, and this is what we always get wrong. We always want to be somewhere else. Wouldn't it be better if I was over there? You know, it's in the simplest things that we we can't sit alone for 60 seconds without our skin crawling, that we envy our neighbors, right? If I just had a different job or lived in a different place or had more money or whatever, pick something, right? A passage is not... You know, if I was only, no, that's not what it, it's not from here into a supernation. It's paying attention to where you are because Jesus has given you all you need. It's not a passage into a supernation, but into the kingdom of God. The world to come into the very reality of this world and its life as redeemed and restored. So a sacrament is a passage into the church. Into the kingdom or into this community. Those are all the same thing. In the transformation, not of nature. So you don't, you're a human and so now you can be, you know, transhuman. You're human so you can be an angel. That's dumb. D U M, Timmy. So here's the thing that's just dumb. That's not who you are. You're a son, you'll always be a son. You're a daughter, you'll always be a daughter. You're a human, you'll always be a human. You're not gonna be something else. Be the best human. How does this happen? Only if God changes you. It is the transformation not of nature into supernature, but of old into new. How can a man enter into his mother's womb again? Ah, he must be reborn again by the Spirit, Jesus says to Nicodemus, John chapter three. A sacrament therefore is not a miracle by which God breaks, so to speak, the laws of nature, but a manifestation of the ultimate truth about the world and life, man and nature, the truth with his Christ. So if you can think about it this way, if you kind of start with this idea, so people, you know, it's a complete loser's game to think about miracles as occasionally God pops in to do something super, and because the pain gets so greater we hope somebody will believe him. No. God is very near. And you were meant to be transformed, energized, loved, all the time. And sin means we push that away. And occasionally, you know, it's not that God is a one-off. It's like he's constantly trying to establish his kingdom, constantly trying to do miracles, constantly trying to baptize people, give the Eucharist, constantly trying to resurrect people. Every absolution is a resurrection. He's trying to do this all the time, and occasionally we recognize it, and then we say, Oh! It's a miracle! No! Everything is a miracle! It's just that we're so absurd we can't hear it and we're so proud we can't see it and so we go through life we're miserable all the time. See, that's the problem. So, a sacrament is not a miracle by which God breaks, so to speak, the laws of nature but the manifestation. Manifestation is epiphany, revelation, experience, touch, sight, sound, beauty, Of the ultimate truth about the world and life, man and nature, the truth of which is Christ. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you pray, Christ be close to me. That's what you're praying. And when Christ is close to you, on your skin, in your mouth, swirling in your ears, filling your heart, joined to your humanity, then everything's going to be a-okay. That's what you're praying for, and that's the reason you should pray the Lord's Prayer. forever and ever. Amen. Quick thing, there's no Bible study next week because so many people are gone. However, the, uh, a 14-member choir from Concordia Seminary St. Louis will be here. The president of the seminary has decided to join us because he wants to meet all of you. He's just coming along for fun. And there'll be unlimited donuts between services. It'll be like manna raining from heaven. So, uh, you know.